Day 17, Sixth Voyage It must be a marvel to you how, after having five times met with shipwreck, I could again tempt fortune and risk fresh trouble. After a year of repose, I prepared to make a sixth voyage. Instead of going by the Persian Gulf, I traveled a considerable way over land and finally embarked from a distant Indian port with a captain who meant to make a long voyage. And truly he did so, for we fell in with stormy weather which drove us completely out of our course. Finally, we discovered that we were in the most dangerous spot upon the whole wide sea. The captain said to us, Now we are here, we may as well begin to dig our graves at once, since from this fatal spot no shipwrecked mariner has ever returned. The bones of the luckless mariners shone white in the sunshine, and we shuddered to think how soon our own would be added to the heap. It struck me as a very strange thing that a river of clear, fresh water, not far from where we stood, instead of flowing into the sea as rivers generally do, turned off sharply and flowed out of sight under a natural archway of rock. When I went to examine it more closely, I found that inside the cave the walls were thick with diamonds and rubies and masses of crystal, and the floor was strewn with ambergris. Upon this desolate shore, we abandoned ourselves to our fate. The first thing our captain did was to divide equally among us all the food we possessed, and then the length of each man's life depended on the time he could make his portion last. Nevertheless, by the time I had buried the last of my companions, I hardly thought I should live long enough to dig my own grave. But, luckily for me, the fancy took me to stand once more beside the river, and an idea struck me. The river which hid itself underground doubtless emerged again at some distant spot. Why should I not build a raft and trust myself to its swiftly flowing waters? I decided at any rate to risk it, and speedily built myself a stout raft of driftwood. My raft flew swiftly under the gloomy archway, and I found myself in total darkness, carried smoothly forward by the rapid river. Then, worn out with anxiety and fatigue, I fell into a deep sleep. And when I again opened my eyes, I was once more in the light of day. A beautiful country lay before me, and my raft was surrounded by friendly-looking black men. Feeling perfectly bewildered by my sudden return to life and light, I murmured to myself in Arabic, Close thine eyes, and while thou sleepest, heaven will change thy fortune from evil to good. One of the natives, who understood this tongue, then came forward, saying, My brother... Tell us now whence you come and where you were going by that dangerous way. I replied that nothing would please me better than to tell them, 
but that I was starving and would fain eat something first. I was soon supplied with all I needed, and having satisfied my hunger, I told them faithfully all that had befallen me. They were lost in wonder at my tale, and said that adventures so surprising must be related to their king. So we marched into the city of Serendib, where the natives presented me to their king. The monarch bade me rise and sit beside him, asking first what was my name. I am Sinbad, I replied, whom men call the sailor, for I have voyaged much upon many seas. And how come you here? asked the king. I told my story, concealing nothing, and his surprise and delight were so great that he ordered my adventures to be written in letters of gold band and laid up in the archives of his kingdom. He then commanded his officers to provide me with a suitable lodging at his expense and sent slaves to wait upon me and carry my raft and my bales to my new dwelling place. I praised his generosity and gave him grateful thanks. I presented myself daily in his audience chamber, and for the rest of my time I amused myself in seeing all that was most worthy of attention in the city. After many days I petitioned the king that I might return to my own country. He loaded me with rich gifts, and when I went to take leave of him, he entrusted me with a royal present and a letter to the commander of the faithful, our sovereign lord, saying, I pray you give these to the caliph Harun al-Rashid and assure him of my friendship. I accepted the charge respectfully and soon embarked upon the vessel which the king himself had chosen for me. The king's letter was written in blue characters, and these were the words of it. The king of the Indies, before whom walk a thousand elephants, who lives in a palace of which the roof blazes with a hundred thousand rubies, and whose treasure house contains twenty thousand diamond crowns, to the caliph Harun al-Rashid, sends greeting. Though the offering we present to you is unworthy of your notice, we pray you to accept it as a mark of the esteem and friendship which we cherish for you, and of which we gladly send you this token, and we ask of you a like regard if you deem us worthy of it. Adieu, brother. After a long and prosperous voyage, we landed out Balsora, and I made haste to reach Baghdad, and taking the king's letter I presented myself at the palace gate. I was conducted into the presence of the caliph, and I gave him the letter and the king's gift. The caliph was well satisfied with what I saw in that country. From the king's letter, said he, I judged that he was a wise man. It seems that he is worthy of his people, and his people of him. So saying, he dismissed me with rich presents, and I returned in peace to my own house. When Sinbad had done speaking, his guests withdrew. 
Hinbad again received one hundred golden coins. And when all of them returned next day to hear the story of the seventh voyage, Sinbad thus began. 